Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God, and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Welcome uh, to the Newmark Alliance Book Club, uh, where Jonathan uh, recommends a new book every week, it seems. I think he's just bragging about how many books he reads. Uh, This week's book is called Stolen Focus by uh, Johan Hari, Why You Can't Pay Attention. And he tells this story that really uh, resonated with me, kind of convicted me, a story I think is going to resonate with parents especially. And his son, uh, at age nine, uh, developed this intense obsession with, of all people, Elvis, uh, which seemed like this cute kind of generational gap. And so this nine years old uh, son is walking around the house, uh, jiggling his pelvis and singing Viva Las Vegas. And uh, actually Elvis's Golden Records was the first album I ever bought with my own money. So I could kind of relate. Radio music was not typically allowed in the Gandhi household, but Elvis was okay. And so one day as he's being tucked into his bed, the kid says, dad, will you take me to Graceland one day? And without really thinking about it, uh, dad agrees. And, uh, but he never gave it another thought until everything kind of blew up. It's 10 years later, and the author's son is, is kind of floundering. He's dropped out of high school uh, when he was 15. He spent most of his waking hours alternating between screens, a blur of... YouTube and WhatsApp and Snapchat and porn. And of course, during the last decade in which his son had become a 19-year-old man, it was hard not to notice the culture-wide shift that was happening as well. Our ability to pay attention was cracking. And so one evening, Johan is on his sofa and he's noticing himself on a device and he's noticing his son sort of zombie-like on his device. And out of the blue, he says, let's go to Graceland. And uh, this is no small thing, by the way, because they live in England. And, And he could see that the idea was sort of breaking this numbing routine and it sort of ignited something in his son, but he told him there's one condition um, that if they went, uh, he, he had to switch off his phone during the day. And his son swore he would. And so it was interesting for me to read this story because I've been to Graceland and uh, the most remarkable thing is kind of how unremarkable it is, you know, for the biggest rock star of all time. It's kind of, you know, m- moderate. Uh, but it sounds like things have really changed in terms of the Graceland experience because uh, since I've been there uh, for years ago, uh, now when you arrive at the gates of Graceland, apparently uh, there's no longer a human to show you around. Guess what you're handed? an iPad, and headphones, 
and the iPad tells you what to do. Turn left, turn right, uh, walk forward. And in each room, a photograph of where you are also appears on the screen while the narrator describes it. And so as they walked around, uh, you know, surrounded by blank-faced people, not talking, and looking almost exclusively at their screens, and he describes a feeling more and more tense on this tour, like, um, this is not the way things ought to be. Uh, just put up that picture of Graceland for those who've never seen it. So they they get to the infamous room, uh, the jungle room, Elvis's favorite place in the mansion. And the iPad is narrating away. And uh, the author notices this middle-aged man standing next to his wife. And he says, um, honey, this is amazing. Uh, look, if you, sw- if, if, if you swipe left... You can see the jungle room to the left, and if you swipe right, you can see the jungle room to the right. And he thinks this is very cool, and she starts swiping to get a better look at the jungle room, which just to remind you, they are standing in the middle of, okay? And Johan can't stand this anymore, and he leans uh, forward kind of jokingly and says, you know... There's this old-fashioned form of swiping that you can do. It's called turning your head (laughs) because we're here in the jungle room. There's no need for your screen. And the couple hurries away like he's the crazy one. And Johan turns to his son to kind of laugh about the absurdity of it all. And there's his son in a corner holding his phone under his jacket, scrolling through Snapchat. And at every stage on this road trip, he had broken his promise. When the plane first touched down in the States, he'd taken out his phone while they were still in their seats. And Johan was like, whoa, you promised not to do that. And his son was like, yeah, I meant I wouldn't make phone calls. I can't not use Snapchat and texting, obviously. He says this with a kind of baffled indignation uh, as though he'd been asked you know, not to breathe for 10 days. Some of y'all getting triggered right now. And Johan gets triggered too. He, he tries to wrestle the phone away from his son and he yells and his son sort of stomps away. Well, that night when they've kind of cooled off and they're at the Heartbreak Hotel... I wish I were making that up. It's down at the end of Lonely Street, in fact, in in Memphis. And they're sitting in this giant uh, pool-shaped guitar, uh, or guitar-shaped pool. And both of them are just kind of looking sad. And uh, Johan realizes, you know what? He's not angry at his son. He's kind of angry at himself. He's angry for what he's allowed. He's angry at, at what's changed in the culture. He's angry at himself. He's frustrated at his own inability to focus. Uh, He hates that he's losing his ability to be present. And uh, and his son says, I know something is wrong with me, but I have no idea how to fix it. And then he went back to texting. Uh, If you're here today and you are kicking tires on faith, 
uh, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, we are so glad that you're here. You are welcome here. We want you here. This may not be the kind of topic that you expected to hear at church. I'll bet, though, that you have this same sense. You have this gut feeling that something's, something's wrong. You know there's a better way to do life. You, you can't quite put your finger on it. And for those of us who are, are Christ followers today, you too know that, that something is off in your relationship to technology, to hurry, to, to Christmas. This, this, this feeling of not being present, not being alive. Perhaps you even have this see, uh, sneaking suspicion that um, this is not just a practical issue or a parenting issue. This feels like a spiritual issue. Last week, we suggested that if there's a year, if you could pinpoint a year that sort of started the digital age, you could argue it was, it was 2007. It's the year of the iPhone, the year of Facebook, of, of the cloud, of Twitter. And the world has, has radically changed since then. In, in very recent memory, uh, none of us had a smartphone or Wi-Fi, uh, and now, I'm not sure we can imagine living without it. The, the internet alone has changed the world and we're still trying to figure out if it's been for the better. Um, depending on who you talk to, it might just be decreasing our IQ or at very least our capacity to pay attention. There's this recent study, very recent study, that found that uh, the average smartphone user uh, touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. But that's the average of all phone users. Another study showed that millennials touch their phone twice that number. Uh, another study found that simply being in the same room as your phone, um, even if it's off, will reduce someone's working memory and problem-solving skills. That's just a nice way of saying that maybe our phones are making us dumber. Um, it's like some weird magical device that silently shouts out your name to your brain at all times. Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. Oh, yes, yes, my precious, yes. Mm. Um, and that's just our phone use. That doesn't include social and checking email and looking up the weather. And Those stats don't even touch on the internet, much less the greatest time sucks of all time. Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. Companies are now in like an arms race for people's attention. They understand your money is intrinsically tied to your attention. Well, surprise, surprise, our attention span is dropping each year. In 2000, before, you know, this digital revolution, our attention span was clocked at 12 seconds, which caused alarm back then. Not exactly a lot of wiggle room there. Since then, it's dropped to eight seconds. I have to keep doing this every now and then, because... To, you know, to put it in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. In fairness, goldfish don't have TikTok, though. 
Would you say this is like a societal addiction? Addicted to the like button, addicted to the infinite scroll. All, all addiction means is a relentless pull to a substance or activity that becomes so compulsive, it ultimately interferes with everyday life. And so by that definition, nearly everyone I know, including myself, is addicted in some measure to the internet. If you, if you think you're the exception to the rule, great, prove it. Turn off your phone for 48 hours, just two days, call it a, a digital Sabbath, and see how long it takes before you start getting the shakes. Uh, what about no screens at all? No sense turning off your phone if you're just gonna binge a whole series of She-Hulk, right? I, I'm not advocating, by the way, a return to some mythical, pre-digital utopia that doesn't exist, you know? Let's farm for a few decades and then die in our 40s of gout. That doesn't sound fun either. Or imagine life without GPS maps, you know? I'd never, I'd never find your place. I, I don't know what direction I'm facing right now. If you say so, Steve. Is that, or is that Siri? Uh, I need ways. I, I, life without Apple Music? Ugh, sounds horrible. But maybe we could just cultivate more of a healthy suspicion of technology, recognizing that, that most innovations have, have a hidden agenda, uh, a cost that may or may not end up being a net positive. Like, for instance, have you, have you heard of this thing called entertainment anxiety. We are in the golden age of, of televised entertainment. Networks, streaming platforms, cable channels are outspending each other in the billions to, to, to uh, you know, and I know this is a definition of like first world problems, but it, it, can you relate to this? Somebody asks, oh, have you seen, fill in the blank, White Lotus? Rings of power, uh, Andor, Yellow Jackets, whatever. And some people get this rush of anxiety like, oh, another must-see TV show that I have to add to my list. And I kind of just want to watch Office reruns, but I have this pressure now to watch two seasons of Succession. I hate the idea of, of hearing one day oh, you watched all six seasons of Better Call Saul and you never learned to love prayer. You know, the average guy today will have spent 10,000 hours playing video games by the age of 21. 10,000. And my mind jumps to the research of uh, Malcolm McDowell that he made famous. Oh, yeah, another book recommendation, Jonathan, thank you. He's the one who popularized this idea of, of the 10,000 hours that you can actually you know, master something in 10,000 hours. You could uh, master Russian literature or Olympic water polo. You could get a master's degree. You could memorize the New Testament. Or you could beat level four of Call of Duty. I probably don't have to hammer home the connection here. 
you've already kind of intuited it, uh, the correlation between hurry and spirituality, between how we spend our time and our relationship with Christ. It feels sometimes like of all the things we should steward, of all the things we ought to guard, attention might be our scarcest resource. You know, when the Bible talks about our treasure, we usually interpret that to mean our our time, our money, uh, maybe our gifting, but an even more precious resource is, is our attention. I am relearning in my abide group that without it, without my attention, my presence, our spiritual lives are stillborn because attention leads to awareness and our awareness of God or our lack thereof is, is a problem. So many people live without a sense of God's presence throughout the day. And, and we talk about the absence of God, you know, the, the dark night of the soul and all that. But could it be that with perhaps a few exceptions, we are the ones who are absent, not God? We sit around sort of sucked into our phones or our to-do lists, oblivious to the God who is around us who is in us, who is with us, a God who's even more desirous of a relationship than we are, Emmanuel, God who is, who is with us. Too bad we haven't noticed God because we haven't turned our notifications off. Because what you give your attention to is the person you'll become. Now that bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to, like Philippians says, all that is good and beautiful and true in this world. But it doesn't really bode well for those who give all their attention to the 24-7 news cycle or the outrage machine or celebrity gossip. Some of the best, most sincere people I know tell me that when they seek to get into the presence of God, they just can't, Pay attention. I, I, I can relate. If, if, if we lose our capacity to pay attention to God, I'm, I'm worried about who we'll become. And, and it's really hard to pay deep attention when I'd submit to you, we're kind of addicted to noise. Uh, we say it causes anxiety. We say we long for simplicity. But those hits of dopamine, you know, those are pretty powerful too. In fact, scientists are discovering that our bodies confuse the feeling of stress for the feeling of aliveness. Uh, We say we don't want to be stressed, but there's something biologically addictive about that feeling. And and there was a a brand new study recently. This is hot off the presses. Turns out 65% of men, 25% of women, would rather receive electrical shocks than endure sitting alone in an empty room with no devices. The gender disparity is something maybe we should look into too. But even 25% of women is, is shocking. See what I did there? Uh, here's what it comes down to, folks. I, I believe, um, and I'm going to get deep here for a second. 
The fear of silence is the fear of the unknown, but it's also a fear of what may become known. Ouch. What if I'm left with my own thoughts and God? What might be revealed in that moment? What insight into my character, my soul, my sin might God start speaking into? I'm not sure I want to know. Listen to what Paul says. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. It's weird to have those two words next to each other, isn't it? Ambition next to the word quiet. The two words sound like enemies, not friends. I hear ambition, I think. Hustle, striving. But Paul says we are to aim our ambition at something else entirely, a, a quiet life. And again, it's this upside down countercultural kingdom of God. To live a quiet life in a world full of noise is like this act of rebellion, a, 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 a fight against the culture, against the status quo. And John Mark Homer says, like any fight, there's gonna come death uh, and sacrifice. Uh, can, can we die to the dream of constant upward mobility? Uh, can we die to the desire to always be available, uh, to always know what's going on in the world? And there's a death in that. It's a death of status and bragging rights, a death of vanity, but as we know, death is followed by a resurrection, a resurrection to something better. I'd like to call us to something better this morning. I'd like to call myself to something better. Last week, Paul called it the life that is truly life, the abundant life, the abiding life, a life of peace and power. And discipline is a way to access that power. Willpower isn't bad when willpower works. It just doesn't normally get you that far, especially early on in your journey with Jesus. It's why we need habits and rhythms and disciplines to keep us on track when, when our willpower isn't working. You know, implementing a trellis, a rule of life, we talked about that a few weeks ago, a way of doing life that gives us structure and helps us grow good fruit. And Jesus has a way of doing life, a, a way for us to do life, and the, the instructions are pretty straightforward. He says, follow me, apprentice under me, do what I do. Now, obviously, we don't have a direct example of how Jesus would navigate the world of iPhones and video games, and, but there are some principles that he modeled. Let's call it unplugging, even though they literally had nothing to unplug 2,000 years ago. In fact, I remember this thing from the 80s and 90s. Uh, you, you guys may not have heard of it. We called it boredom. Uh, um, it's like uh, Gen Z's going, is that like when you have a bad Wi-Fi connection? It's sort of. Uh, it's like worse than that. It's like when you stare at a window with nothing to do. I mean, do you even remember like waiting at a bus stop 
or stuck in traffic or sitting in a movie theater before the movie starts, um, sitting in the back of sociology class while a professor drones on and on, and all you have is your mind to engage. Again, I'm not advocating going backwards to this pre-digital world. There's not going to be you know, a phone burning ceremony in the parking lot after church. And uh, Matt and I can bring our Led Zeppelin albums too just to uh, get the bonfire going. But wouldn't you agree, we've lost something crucial. We, it's hard to even know how to put it in words. It, it may be too early to even diagnose the damage that it's doing. But all those little moments of boredom were actually little portals of prayer or potential prayer. Little moments throughout our days to kind of wake up to the reality of God around us, to draw our minds and our attention back to God. 77% of young adults answered yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I reach for is my phone. Uh, not me, of course. Not you, I'm sure. Pretty much the only place we can be alone with our thoughts anymore is the shower. And it's only a matter of time before our phones are waterproof. Can you imagine? She was just shower. I mean, how do we have any kind of spiritual life at all if we can't pay attention longer than a goldfish? How do you pray? How do you read scripture? How do you sit under teaching? Uh, practice Sabbath. When every chance you get, you, you reach for this dopamine device called a phone. Ronald Rollheiser says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. John Mark Comer makes this interesting point in his book. He talks about Jesus spending those 40 days in the wilderness alone, fasting, praying, meditating, and then who comes to tempt him? The devil. And Comer says he used to read the passage this way. Oh, isn't that just like the devil? To come, you know, at the end of a long week when we're hangry and we're at our worst. But, but then he realized he might have it backwards. The, the wilderness maybe isn't a place of weakness, but a place of strength. The time away from the noise, alone with God, unplugged, not even distracted by food in this case, abiding with the Father. This is a place of great strength. Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Translation, when you really, what you really need is not a beer or a night out at the movies. What you really need is time alone with me. But to do that, you gotta get away from all the noise, even and especially the noise in your head. Uh, in the screw tape letters, yet another book recommendation, C.S. Lewis has uh, the demons fight against silence because it's a, it's a danger to their cause. Screw tape says, the devil's realm is a kingdom of noise. Uh, what is it with me? Uh, and no doubt, what is it with some of you this strange urge to reach for the radio the moment you get in your car. 
uh, always having music on in the background or flipping on the TV when you're multitasking or listening to a podcast while you work out. I have a theory that John Mark Comer articulated really well. Could it be that we are using external noise to drown out internal noise? External noise is easy to quiet. Internal noise, that's a whole other animal. There's no off switch. And the mental chatter just never shuts up. The running commentary in our heads, uh, the replaying of a conversation. Oh, what I should have said was, or our lustful thoughts for the guy or gal down the street, our fantasies, not, not just sexual fantasies, our revenge fantasies, our worries chipping away at our joy like a, like a hammer of discontentment. Um, the obsessing over hypothetical scenarios, medicating ourselves with noise so we don't have to turn our thoughts into prayers. Noise instead of listening to the, the still small voice that 99% of the time I find uh, is the voice of God. It doesn't come in the dramatic, but in a, in a whisper. You've got to silence both the internal and the external noise. And I'm not talking about isolation. Our words matter, so defining uh, solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. Solitude is when you set aside time to feed and nourish your soul, to let it grow in health and maturity, time to abide in Christ. Isolation is when you... Uh, is when you crave that, but you neglect the former, the, 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 the intention. In solitude, we're anything but alone. In fact, that's where I believe you're most connected with God. Henri Nouwen says it bluntly, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. When we don't practice this Jesus habit, we'll reap the consequences. We feel distant from God. We end up living vicariously off somebody else's spirituality, a, a podcast feed, a book, uh, a one-page devotional that we read before we rush out the door for work. We feel distant from ourselves, our identity in Christ, our callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent instead of the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety. We get soul exhaustion. Uh, even when we catch up on our sleep, it's like we, there's a deeper kind of tired. And so we turn to our escape of choice. We, we become prey for the tempter. Bible calls him a roaring lion seeking who he will devour. And emotional unhealth sets in and we become reactionary. The smallest things trigger us. But on the flip side, when we, when we find our quiet place, when we accept the invitation of Jesus to, to come away, we slow down, we breathe, we, we come back to the present. We start to feel again. We, we face the good. 
We face the bad, even the ugly in our own hearts, our worry, our depression, our hope. And in our ears, we sense his voice cut through the noise and all the other voices. And in that silence, we can hear God speak his love over us. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. You know, that's what Jesus meant by abide. Maybe that's, that's why my heart resonates with that word abide. It's the, it's the verb of abode or home. Home really ought to be the place of rest, the unhurried center of peace and power. Here's how John Mark paints the picture of how he looks forward to abiding, unplugging. And as I read it, um, maybe you fill in your own details that, that fit you better, but here's how he paints the picture for himself. Here's to tomorrow morning, six o'clock, coffee, the chair by the window, time to breathe, a psalm, a story from the gospels, hearing the Father's voice, pouring out my own, or just sitting, resting. Maybe I'll hear a word from God that will alter my destiny. Maybe I'll just process my anger over something that's bothering me. Maybe I'll feel my mind settle like untouched water. Maybe my mind will ricochet from thought to thought and never come to rest. If so, that's fine. I'll be back same time tomorrow, starting my day, in a quiet place with you. How about us? I had this desire this morning to challenge us to do something. Do it in community together, some sort of church-wide tech fast, some, some experiment in unplugging. And the truth is, I, I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, I'm on social about 10 times more than our young, hip youth pastor. And uh, I suspect he has his own things that are out of balance, maybe. Things that rob him from abiding with Jesus. Um, But I, I would like to invite you now to discern what that is for yourself. A, a baby step, most likely. Someone may feel called to a radical step, but I'd invite everyone not to leave here without making a a commitment of some sort of change to unhurry somehow, to undistract in some way, to unplug for a time. It's made the point that sometimes, you know, we, we could fool ourselves into thinking that we're we're doing a Christian discipline, and sometimes it is, to listen to worship music, to listen to good preaching podcasts, even to read a Christian book, but it can be a, uh, a good thing that is replacing an even better thing, which is solitude, listening to the voice of God. I'm so sorry, I'm looking at the clock. I'm so sorry, guys. Father, uh, Spirit of the living God, would you just even now give these good people creativity in their discernment of what they need to do to connect with you, what they need to turn off, what lifestyle changes need to happen. Uh, Not as as something religious 
or legalistic, but as a way to enhance our relationship with you. We just affirm today that there is nothing better than you, nothing worth our time more than you. You are worthy, Jesus. And so we, uh, we want to cast aside the things that would rob time from our relationship with you. Give us insight into that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. You are such a loved people. I hope you feel it. Beware the bareness of a busy life. God bless you as you go.